the evening where you have all gathered around your radios and whatever platforms you have. Uh, mashallah, I must uh, congratulate you on your right choice. And uh, this is uh, the program called Legal Legal. Uh, legal talk, I nearly call it legal files. I think we legal talk here. And Alhamdulillah, once again, it's uh, the turn of our attorney, Hafiz uh, Muhammad Kuvadia. Alhamdulillah, great to have him. And uh, let me welcome you and uh, ha- attorney Hafiz Muhammad Kuvadia with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And uh, Muhammad, how are you doing this fine, beautiful evening? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And I'm doing well, alhamdulillah. I hope that our ardent and loyal listeners are with us this evening and they're doing well too, inshallah. Yeah, I'm absolutely sure they're doing well with the astute leadership of our very own Mufti A.K. Hussein, who's also our resident Mufti, the captain of the ship. Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'a, and uh, you know Muhammad, a powerful topic indeed uh, this evening, uh, where we'll be talking about co- uh, conveyancing and deal with a reputable lawyer. The one like uh, the, I got a reputable attorney that has done conveyancing throughout the dunya, people. Yeah, what North Pole? He did the South Pole also, people. Yeah, I can tell you. But Muhammad, before we get into our topic. So much is happening around us and, uh, you know, so many topics coming through. BRICS came in. Uh, there were talks about, hey, there's this spot, the dictators are joining the, 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 the BRICS brigade. But uh, when you look around the world, it's all in, uh, you know, political chaos. And, uh, you know, but life goes on. There's different types of uh, propaganda that we get. And, you know, we find uh, that some people, they are so uh, attuned uh, to lying. And they believe their own lies. Perhaps, you know, talking about this type of scenario where you get, uh, you know, media believing their own lies and uh, some people getting duped into it. What's your thoughts? I mean, also you being, uh, mashallah, uh, a brilliant attorney, but also a media man, uh, Muhammad. Jeez, I think this BRICS uh, came and went and left its effect and its marks on us is the people we can only but sit and watch what happens in BRICS. What say do we as the ordinary class citizens in this country have? We look at the economies of the world and for some particular reason, the South African economy is in the doldrums. For some particular reason, as much as we are living decent lives, alhamdulillah, um, you're finding that the rand is collapsed and that uh, we are, have become the target or the the punching bag of the world's economies. So I don't know, you know, because in reality, after over a decade of being a member of BRICS, what benefit has they been to us? We are supposed to have been a founding, a, a early member within the BRICS uh, financial institution, but yet look at the countries within the BRICS, even the Indian rupee, when you go to India and you hear how they are complaining about the rupee being bashed, how you complain about, for example, in Brazil, the real, how that is being uh, bashed. The Chinese currency has always been um, cheap, um, and I'm not really sure. So, you know, when you look at these things in perspective and you wonder, is the West going to be punishing us more and pounding our currencies to the ground? So much so that we're members of an elitist organization, but there is no benefit to the people in the street. 
they're talking about development banks, they're talking about creating single union currencies or some, but at the end of the day, does that translate into jobs? Does that translate to food on the table? Does that translate to um, just just a better quality of life? Look at the, the service delivery across the country. You're hearing of hospitals in Limpopo that ask patients to bring water when they come to the hospital because there isn't water in the hospital. So, and this all at the same time, look at the conditions of service delivery, look at the conditions of protesting, the disgruntlement that we're having in the South African, amongst the South African citizens. Next year being election year, we don't know, is it a fight or flight or what's going to be our response in this country because things are at a very delicate situation and uh, we can have no option but to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ask him that he provides us with safety, security, and that we are able to have um, the opportunity to be able to even start going back to, for Umrah and Hajj and it's and become and making it much more affordable. I just want to say, I mean, I was looking at Umrah packages now coming up for next month and um, minimum 40 to 50,000 rand is an absolute minimum. And I thought it seemed like yesterday when we were paying half the price for an Umrah, now we are paying double the price for exactly the same Umrah. What is happening and how many people will be able to start traveling overseas in the near future? And what's going to happen to us as a, as a country, the way things are currently happening? So was the BRICS, is the BRICS actually a benefit to us or is it just gives the West and the allied forces an opportunity for them to bash us up even further? That's the question. I like your analysis there, Mohammed. Uh, but maybe you know, take you back and uh, perhaps uh, uh, you know, compliment uh, the Muslim Lawyers Association uh, in this sense uh, that uh, you know they had uh, brought up charges against um, you know, Narendra Modi for his atrocities uh, that has been perpetrated in India and Gujarat and so forth. And uh, it seemed uh, that uh, the Lawyers Association was the uh, Firoz Boda. Uh, I think yeah, advocate Firoz Boda, and also there was an attorney. Uh, what was it like? Yusha uh, Tayyab with the uh, you know Salman Khan of the South African Kashmir Action Group. I mean, Modi literally had to run for his life and uh, a midnight flight, and there he was evading uh, the long arm of the law. It seems that if South Africa has a history of making people run from this land, uh, what's your thoughts on that, uh, Mohammed? I think we had, a, we had a few individuals in our midst in the last um, BRICS summit, including the king of criminals, Mr. Modi himself. So yes, fully aware that in the middle of the night, as soon as um, he had the first opportunity, he fled like a coward. And um, that's the unfortunate reality is that we sometimes, even as a government, we were we were we 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 failed in our humanitarian responsibility very recently the rss and the bjp and the extremist political parties in india were 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 were, were punishing and assaulting and murdering innocent muslims very when i say very recently i'm talking about a month ago near the delhi region i got some videos and yesterday i got a video about a Hindu child that was asked by the teacher to slap the Muslim child. And uh, this is unfortunately the condition of the Muslims in India, 
in Burma, in China. We have, I mean, these 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 are countries. I mean, let's talk about BRICS in itself and how many um, criminals are sitting at the helm of these countries at BRICS and how do we as a member of BRICS address these issues so much so that basic human rights, which we've been fighting for, for so long, for so many centuries in this country, cannot be established in other countries. So yes, the criminal got away. But remember, in the court of Allah, they will all meet the day and they will all be accountable for whatever sins they perpetrated and committed in this world. Absolutely. You know, the things of this world proceed by divine decree. Haq and Bafil. Haq will smash Bafil into smithereens. Well, people, the term conveyancing describes the legal process whereby a person, company, close corporation or trust becomes the registered and lawful owner of a fixed property and ensures that such ownership cannot be challenged. It also encompasses the process of the registration of mortgage bonds. Hey, I'm not the James Bond of uh, conveyancing, but he's there in front of me. He's giving me a big smile. That is our very own uh, attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kubadia. And as I said, uh, conveyancing. But our topic with uh, reputable you know, uh, uh, lawyers. Uh, Mohammed, I want you to set the stage for us and, uh, you know, even uh, touch on uh, the, a lot of people today come. I mean, I've heard of people going into court and acting as, you know, that they are attorneys and that so forth and only to discover that guy was a quack. Talk to us, Mohammed. Talk to us about <laughs> <laughs> how important Gee. it is for us to check out the credentials of an individual because in South Africa, you can get literally get away with murder. Talk to us, uh, brother. How often is it that we find that people who purport to be who uh, somebody else, you know, purport to be somebody else, we come to find out today people in major political roles, uh, you find people that are in the helm of uh, various corporations have faked and defrauded their way, providing certificates from non-existent universities, fake diplomas, even just updating the other day we had uh, we got a snippet of a news article where a lawyer purported or he updated his LinkedIn profile with false information and um, as a result of which he got caught out. Yes, unfortunately, you know, this profession which is supposed to be um, founded on integrity and honesty and transparency gets filtered and, unf and unfortunately you find that the frauds and the fakes make their way within the industry like any other charlatan industry like any other industry you do have these charlatans let me choose the correct word so for example you'll find that people purport to have to be doctors today and yet you find that lo and behold these people are not doctors they're only pretending to be doctors and it can lead to serious consequences but yes you are right i think um there has been a concerted effort in the legal profession to try to identify the honest and truthful lawyers from those who are only out there serving the profession but without any authority or any recognition or any um, uh, any certification. So it goes back to the fact that um, today we're living in a modern era. If you do do business with an attorney, a notary, any conveyancer, then you have a right to go onto the Legal Profession Council's website and put that person's name in there 
and his membership number and his status is reflected on the website. So even us as attorneys, we have an opportunity to verify that somebody who purports, I received a letter from somebody, he purports to be an attorney. Is he an attorney that's still practicing? So what could happen is, for example, a person could be practicing for many years. Somewhere along the line, he then gets suspended or he gets disbarred. But people, the public doesn't know that information because maybe the media did not advertise it or did not focus on it. So then the people do not know, but they continue to assume that he's still a practicing attorney. In the meantime, he doesn't have the protection and you don't have the protection as a client going into his business. So from time to time, you've got to then uh, check that the legal person you're working for has a fidelity fund certificate. And these fidelity fund certificates are renewed annually and it's a protection mechanism for the client. So what do I mean by that? I mean that if you're going to buy a particular property, or, uh, for example, a million rand property, and, and that's a huge fortune uh, in anybody's books, you deposit it with an attorney or a conveyancer, your money is protected as long as you deposit it into the trust account. So if for any particular reason, the attorney gets greedy and then he dips into the trust account and he steals your money, then you have a right of recourse against the legal professional counsel and they will then reimburse you because the attorney who was registered and had all his certifications and had a proper trust account, you deposited, you did it innocently. It was an error on your part, but it was not guided by any maliciousness. It was just um, in the ordinary cause where you assumed. So yes, you are protected should he steal the money. So that's why it's important to just update yourself from time to time and make sure that the legal person that you're dealing with has the necessary certifications and is, of course, um, uh, registered and recognized and his status is not impeded by any suspension or any violation of the code of conduct. Muhammad, let's, uh, you know, stay on this uh, issue of uh, the wannabe lawyer. You know, he won the wannabe and the people look around and someone knows this guy is a wannabe and he hasn't completed his degree and so forth. So, but he still says, hey, I know I'll go to court, you know, I'll hardly charge you anything, but I'll win your case. And uh, lo and behold, he goes there, represents the individual and he gives him satisfaction. And uh, this in individual doesn't get caught, but we know that he is, uh, you know, he's a suspect. Uh, are you aware of uh, any such a scenario? Because I knew there were some individuals I knew you know, being in the radio business, and he told me, you know, I go to Bellum Court, and I go to that court. I said, what do you do there, brother? And he says, I'm this. And I remember one day being on air, there was another gentleman who uh, you know, announced to me, you know what, I'm uh, I qualified today with my law degree, and this, and he mentioned it on air. And suddenly, they got a call from uh, another attorney. He said, that guy that you're talking to, imagine live on air, it goes to my uh, engineer, and he says, uh, he's a quack. Tell Shafat to get rid of him now. Other than exposing, I mean, have you come across any such uh, scenarios, uh, Mohammed? You know, where you know that the crack had gone to court, and perhaps it should be reported. So it's a criminal offence for anybody to purport to be a lawyer. Uh, you do not have the necessary certification. It's as serious as somebody purporting to be a doctor, because remember. A doctor could very well kill somebody in his practice, I mean, if he's not able to identify. And uh, similarly, whether in the legal profession, there's going to be consequences to the actions of an attorney and whether that action is actually um, uh, is valid. 
So if a person goes and makes a representation in a court of law, the attorney would be guilty of an offence. If the client very well knows that this person is not is not authorised mm. to act on your behalf, then what the attorney said in court or the so-called attorney said in court will have consequences for you because you would be joined up as a co-criminal in this in a scenario like that. So I I, I can't understand and and you are you are quite right. I've heard of it previously in the past, and we've seen some newspaper articles about attorneys or people that have, do not have qualifications that appear in front. Uh, I think um, the law is more um, has become more conscious of this, and you find that magistrates and judges do their homework and they make sure. In fact, I know now on new documentation that we submit as conveyances to the deeds office, your practice number is inserted where your name appears on all your documentation. So like you have an identity number, you have a practice number, and that number is then identified. So banks now also verify this information online before they make payment to you. So if Shafat Khan is practicing as an attorney, you should have a practice number that practice number, if you go onto the internet and you enter it in, your name should come up and it should be valid, that this is a valid number. So hypothetically, if a person commits an offense or he's disbarred or he's suspended or whatever the situation is and he's no longer allowed to practice, it will reflect that this person used to be an attorney, he but he's no longer allowed to practice. So you, as an attorney, you're not even allowed to, if, if you're not an attorney, you're not even allowed to have a trust account because a trust account it's clients' money. It's not your money. And there's no protection mechanism for clients' money in the event. So just to go back uh, to something, money is in, that goes into a trust account is protected by law. But at the same time, the interest that is received on that trust account goes to the legal profession, to the law society, so to speak. Um, so the clients will invest a million rand. And in the ordinary cause, Whatever interest comes out of that account is then uh, is then absorbed or is then uh, removed from your trust account. They do a debit from your trust account every month and whatever they do a sweep and whatever comes out in terms of interest then goes into their account. And that is used as a protection mechanism to build up a capital reserve in the event that attorneys or conveyances steal money. For whatever reason, you know, they could steal money. Um, it could be third-party funds today. We hear of the other problem is that attorneys overreach or overcharge their clients in a third-party matter. Clients are unaware what the matter settled. Did the matter even settle? You find for years, sometimes clients are unaware that the matter was settled many years ago and so many millions of rents. You know, third-party cases can run into a multi-million rent record. And um, very easily... Lawyers have been caught up in that whole conundrum and a lot of them have been actually been disbarred. And unfortunately, sad to say, many Muslim attorneys I know over the years also were caught up in third-party cases or previously referred to as road accident fund cases, or sorry, currently referred to as road accident fund cases. And um, these cases are, involve huge amounts of money. So a person, attorney that you know, wants to get rich quick, he can do a couple of these cases, sneak a few hundred thousand rand out of each one and become a multimillionaire overnight. Unfortunately, you know, you may get away with it in this world, but there's a maker and as a Muslim attorney, how do you even 
begin to practice and uh, as a Muslim and have these thoughts in consideration uh, in your midst. Well, Muhammad, uh, mashallah, bless you. Your conscience is speaking, can hear your clean mind. And hey, no one can point a finger at uh, our attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kuvadia. Allah bless him. Allah keep him protected with that, uh, you know, um, conviction that he has. You know what? My maker, my sustainer is watching me 24-7. So you can't do wrong. What about those individuals that go to court and they said, I'm representing myself? You allowed to? They say a person who represents himself, he is a fool for a client. <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know, you know, when you, when you, when you, you, you I, I, I need to say this, Shafat, it's such a beautiful saying that I, uh, I came across from Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, and he said, when people praised him, he said, Oh Allah, do not hold me accountable for what they say about me and make me better than what they perceive me to be and forgive me for what they don't forgive me for what they don't know about me what a beautiful thing so whilst you praise me alhamdulillah alhamdulillah we ourselves are uh, try try our level best to project the image of being muslim and to try to have it within ourselves that we have iman and that we need to be well meet our maker and we need to be accountable for everything that we do yes so wait uh, wait, wait, wait uh, muhammad now you tickle me. I don't know why you know play table tennis with me on a. But uh, you know, Hazrat Ali Radiallahu said this so beautifully. He said, "My, you know, when someone praised him, and he said, you know, you such a brilliant mind, and you like this, and you like that." So he said, "My face is a mirror, and you are seeing your reflection." Then another guy comes up to him and he said, oh, "You know, you look at under your rule what's happening. There's chaos here, and when Abu Bakr ruled, there was." You know, there's peace and there's, uh, tranquility. What is your problem, you know? Then he tells him, you know, in my rule, during my time, in Abu Bakr's time, I served Abu Bakr. to people like me that served Abu Bakr. That's why there was no turmoil. In my rule, we've got people like you that are causing, you know, this turmoil and asking all this funny question and insulting us. But then he gave him another answer and he said, my face is a mirror and you're seeing your reflection. And in both ways, I mean, you're a winner. But anyway, go ahead, uh, Muhammad. That's, no, that's, no, no, no. Wise words, wise words from the Sahaba, which we have to remember. And, you know, it, it, it actually makes you, it, it, you, you, you're amazed by how brilliant they were in terms of Pleasure. their gene. And at the same time, in terms of the dunya, how quickly they retorted. You know, there was this, there's this narration of our Shia came to Aisha, radiallahu and they said, she said, uh, you know, the, the Quran talks about uh, the Ummahat al-Mu'minin being the mothers of the believers. Aisha is the mother of believers. So the Shia came and he, she said, uh, he said to her, Aisha radiallahu anha, that you are not my mother. And she then said, then you are not a believer. So how obvious he he made it. He painted himself into a corner where it became transparent and her words were true. And her quick remark put him in his place. So alhamdulillah. So just to get back to your question about representing yourself. So yes, of course, every person has, has a right to defend himself. But, you know, in the same way, everybody has a right to to perform their own surgery. If you want to cut off your leg, nothing stops you from going into your room, Shafat, getting a chainsaw or a hacksaw or something and start slicing your leg. Maybe you've got gangrene in your toes and you want to cut off your leg. Uh, people will say you're mad. 
why does Shafat want to perform his own surgery, his own heart surgery? It's unheard of. So in reality, in reality, um, if you represent yourself, you are trying to enter into a legal framework that you may have little or no knowledge of. So hypothetically, they are there's generally, of, uh, and, and this can be looked at from many angles. One is that people, when they deal with their own matters, they're very subjective. So me and you could give the best advice to everybody else, but in our own lives, we need other people to remind us what type or where our shortfalls lie. In marriage, for example, we, because we involve in the community, couples would come to us and they would relay or relate their problems to us. And alhamdulillah, you find that you can find a solution and give the best type of nasiha because you are being objective about something. But the minute you become subjective about the minute it involves you personally, people's tempers tend, tend to flare. People then to become, they, their viewpoints become very subjective. People don't get to see the whole picture because it's about benefiting, benefiting themselves firstly. So what happens is when a person goes and he presents his case, he tends to be overly excited. I say that sometimes when, you know, some sellers want to show their house. So instead of just walking through potential buyers to the house and just pointing out a few things, it's like, no, you know, we built this house in 1960 and my father was very poor. And then you see this wall here, this wall did fall down a couple of times and we rebuilt it. It's, it's because you're trying to oversell a product, a buyer then picks it up. So when a person goes into court and he tries to state his case, because he's very subjective, he tends to then obviously he's, he's, he's blurred in what he's going to say and how he's going to say it. So generally, if you have an attorney, an attorney then prevents you from being irrelevant and, um, you know, from, from giving passing information that's really not going to take your matter any further. He guides you and he asks you the relevant questions. And when you overstep the bar, mark, you know, he stops you and he, and he, he advises you that it, I'd, I'd advise you now not to say anything because if you do answer this particular question, it's going to be um, detrimental to your case. So remember, we 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 have a criminal justice system that um, previous acknowledgements or rather uh, previous uh, uh, oaths, act, uh, uh, confessions and admissions. Sorry, those are the words I'm looking for. Confessions and admissions that you say, maybe to a police officer, to a third party, can be admissible against you in a court of law. So because you didn't know that I shouldn't inform the police officer about X, Y, and Z facts, it comes into court and the, the police officer then mentions, no, but he told me that he's, uh, he doesn't have his driver's license. You know, it's information. So whereas if you are guided and you have legal advice, a, a legal advisor will tell you that, Shavat, it'd be wise for you not to mention this particular fact. This particular fact is for the state to prove and not for you to uh, to prove. And hopefully with that, the best possible outcome can come to you. But throughout all of this, there must always be an element of truth. Sometimes, you know, the public forgets that we lawyers too are officers of the court. Like you get a judge and a magistrate and a prosecutor. We are officers of the court and it would be contemptuous. It would be a criminal offense for us to mislead the court. So, for example, if you're in a tax court and the, the, the SARS has an onus of proving certain information 
it's not up to you to prove that information and to give it to SARS. You expect SARS through the auditing procedures and through the vetting procedures to now bring that evidence forth. So I would advise my clients in certain instances, this is what you need to do. Any legal person would advise the client that this is what you should say and this is what you shouldn't say because it's not your responsibility to present this evidence. So it involves years and years of experience and training and degrees before we actually start giving legal advice. And it's only in the interest of the client because if you're a judge, if, if you present your case appropriately and you push, put your best foot forward, that's the best result you could possibly obtain. We advise clients sometimes how to dress in court. A, a, a guy can't just come into court with his jeans and, you know, with his T-shirt or, or dress sloppily also because it creates an impression on the magistrate or the judge that you're dealing with riffraff. So you'd ask the person to dress appropriately. You'd ask... Uh, school him how to address the judge, you school him how to ask a question or how to um, get your attention. If the question is being asked, this is how you respond. You don't learn that on the street. It obviously comes with, um, with, with being schooled. And at the end of the day, this is what you want to do. You want to present the best possible case so you can get the best possible result. You know, you make me think of uh, the late uh, Yusuf Didat uh, Rahimullah. You remember there was uh, this uh, uh, Hindu judge or someone from the court that uh, denigrated uh, the personality of Nabi Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Azallah. And Yusuf took this upon himself to go and defend uh, the personality of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he, he did it himself. I mean, he didn't need any uh, lawyers and all that. Subsequently, when the uh, foundings, uh, you know, after his death, I showed that, uh, you know, that lady was uh, not uh, taken to task and so forth. But, uh, you know, there he was uh, doing a noble thing, but uh, doing the whole thing like he was the uh, attorney going there and defending the personality of the uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Talk to me about that scenario, uh, Muhammad. Alhamdulillah, the Didat family was um, well known for their uh, personalities and they verbose language and the opportunity, well, the command of the English language. I think if Didat was an advocate, he would have made a great advocate because his debating was part and parcel of his makeup. And Alhamdulillah, I think a lot of that fell onto Yusuf. So I would have no doubt that they would make great attorneys or advocates. It doesn't necessarily mean that attorneys and advocates are, are the best debaters. And, you know, so for that particular reason, uh, I did, uh, the Didat family, or Yusuf Didat particularly in this case, Alhamdulillah, Allah granted him that particular success. But I look back and I think that um, some of the traditions that we find about representation, see, a person may have, on the other hand, you then have the converse. You have a person who's not good in expressing himself, a person who may not have the particular makeup to position his case appropriately. You know when you go into business meetings and we represent sometimes clients in business meetings, you want to negotiate the best possible deal for your client. If he wants to sell you the product at 10 rand, um, you want to buy it at 5 rand because that's what the best interest of your client. Now, sometimes clients, uh, I think a good attorney, and not everybody, not every attorney is a good negotiator, uh, but you do have attorneys that specialize in negotiation. And I find sometimes that... Um, with a good attorney, you're able to receive or achieve the result 
uh, that you'd, you'd like to have because the attorney is great at negotiating and, and, and resolving disputes and outcome and receiving outcomes. And uh, that's, that's, that has its place. So going back, you know, some people do need assistance when it comes to representing themselves for the very reason they may say the wrong thing in court, their language is not appropriate, a person maybe speaks English as a second language, and when he wants to address the judge uh, from, a, from a, a personal perspective, he then says things in a way that his English sounds very sloppy. It's these types of things that have an impression. Let's be honest, you know, they say that uh, uh, when you judge a person, uh, or something like his words maybe only plays 20 or 30 percent but his makeup his presentation his uh, his his personality and all the other ancillary factors play a role when 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 a criminal walks into court and sometimes they come out of the jails they spent a week in jail you know he doesn't look his best he probably never brushed his teeth in one week and he you know tried to comb his hair in a way that his hair still looks unkempt and he's wearing maybe some clothes that somebody brought in the morning that's maybe creased and not even looking appropriate. This plays a market effect in the mind of the person looking at him. Let's be honest about it. And that's why, you know, to be a judge has a huge responsibility from an Islamic perspective because we need to look past all these things. You know, even the Bistilism said something to the effect that, you know, I can only judge you by what is apparent from you. So if you tell, if you don't tell me something, the Bistilism is a person who does not have ilmul ghayb and does not know the unseen. He only judges by what is apparent. And the same thing Umar radiallahu anhu said. He says, we can only judge you by what is apparent. So in reality, if the person doesn't state certain pertinent points about his case or he doesn't relay it in a way that, um, that 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 it can be understood, or in the same way he doesn't come across because of his uh, the, the way he looks. This could have negative effects on a person's outcome of his case because we are human beings at the end of the day, and we you know and we judge you by your appearance especially. Yes, sir, Muhammad, Jazakallah Khaira for that. Also, uh, moving on to our topic, uh, you know about conveyancing. And the South African context, uh, you know, how does a conveyancing work in the uh, Junubi Africa, in South Africa, Mohammed? And I must say, I came to find out uh, the other day that uh, when you graduate from a university, you wear that gown, you know, we, which we wear as lawyers, and you wear that gown on your graduation, and you wear the cap. And this actually came from the Arab custom of graduating, where they you would graduate and you'd wear your thobe and you'd wear your kufia or you'd wear a special turban or a special headgear to show now today is my, my day of graduation. So yes, these are some of the the, 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 the the beautiful, momentous moments that the West has taken from us and they've actually now imposed it on themselves because they understand that um, Islam was, uh, we were we were graduates in the early years when they were still in the years of darkness. So coming on to our topic, gee, how much time? Not much time, so let's let's jump right into it. So we know and um, we understand that in South Africa, we have the legal fraternity. Within the legal fraternity, you of course get magistrates, judges, prosecutors, attorneys, conveyances, notaries, and... Uh, it's quite a vast field where everybody plays a role within the court system to try to uh, to try to make the country safe and to make sure that business continues and to make sure there's safety and security. 
So what role does the conveyance serve? The conveyancing system in South Africa provides security so that the property transfer system, protection system is in place so that people do not just unilaterally uh, abuse processes. So, for example, in other countries, and you know, yeah, I specifically want to refer about uh, to India, that we hear so often that family members say our property was stolen in India. These family members went in and they forged signatures and they did this and they did that. And people are dead, but yet properties are being transferred whilst the, the family is not even aware that their properties are being transferred. So, yes, the, that happens in other parts of the world. And in South Africa, be honest, and you know, you, you don't ever hear of these situations where it was said that our property was stolen from us, somebody went in, forged documents, went into the registrar, because we have an onus and a duty as attorneys and more especially as conveyances, because conveyances are, are legally authorized to transfer properties. We have a, we carry a huge responsibility in that we need to make sure that the person is alive, that the person is signing all the necessary documentation, that he has the necessary authority to be transferring this property, that this property is capable of being transferred, and that there is no hindrance or anything that would um, that would uh, prevent the property from being transferred. And at the same time, the purchaser, we need to make sure that he meets all legal requirements and that from his side, his finances are in place and that the money gets appropriately um transferred to the seller so that the seller does not suffer any financial loss or prejudice. So we, we actually, you know, it's, it's a huge responsibility that we carry because if we are dishonest in our business, you'd find that properties were being transferred, sellers are not getting paid, they're even aware, unaware that their property is being, is, being, is being sold. I mean, I could have a holiday home somewhere on the coast and uh, somebody comes there tomorrow, identifies the stand number, finds out who's the owner, goes to the deeds office, could transfer their property without me knowing, and I come to find out about it. Um, and, 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 but that system is not supposed to happen, and I don't know of that system happening in this country because there are so many checks and balances that has been put into place maybe 100 years ago. Our registry system goes back over 100 years, and uh, there was, there's always been systems in place to prevent dishonesty, to prevent um, anything untoward that can happen. So uh, that's the nature of what, who conveyances are in this country. And I think that the um, uh, public needs to be have a sense of, uh, of a sense of, of, of trust in conveyances, and they should be satisfied that the conveyances are capable of doing what they're supposed to do, and that there should not be any alarms or any reasons for the public to cry out and say that the legal profession, and more especially the conveyancing profession, hasn't give us, given us the safety and security of knowing that a title deed in my hand is a title deed that is valid, and it is something that it's legal, and it's something that I have the safety and security of knowing that uh, nobody can take this just away from me.
Yeah, Muhammad, you know, yeah, you make me think uh, deeply yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, what you're telling me, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining that, that uh, you know, conveyancing uh, covers uh, maybe the work needed uh, to carry out all the administrative work and the legal works required to transfer property ownership from, uh, uh, you know, the seller to the buyer. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like it's a process that usually begins once the buyer has made an offer on a property and that's been accepted by the seller. But then. The real story starts with the conveyancing and so forth, but it doesn't come cheap, uh, Mohammed. So generally, we have a system in South Africa that um, transfer costs are payable by the purchaser. So just to give you an example, if the seller's municipality accounts are up to date, that you know, uh, if the seller doesn't have a bond and he doesn't owe anybody money on that particular property, then and he doesn't have maybe an estate agent, for example, the full proceeds of the purchase price is due and payable to him. If he uses the services of an estate agent, the funds less the, the purchase price less the estate agency fees would be due and payable to him. So by and large, the seller knows where he stands when he sells the property because he knows that he owes the bank so much, this is what the bank will deduct. He needs to pay the estate agent and this is the net result. But if you do not have those encumbrances, then at the end of the day, your purchase price could very well be the money that you're going to be pay. Uh, the, the purchase price would be the money that you would receive. Now, when you take it from the perspective of the purchaser, the purchaser on the other hand has to raise the legal fees, the conveyancing fees, and it's like a rise per size situation. If you buy a property at a, at a, at, a, at the cheaper end of the market, your transfer cost would probably be minimal. And uh, as it increases, the SARS levies, the transfer duty um, levy would uh, increase as the purchase price then increases. So up to 1.1 million rand, it is transfer duty exempt. And as it raises over 1.1 million rand, um, it increases accordingly and proportionately. So yes, for the more expensive properties, you'd be paying more. But normally, these these, these figures are standard. These are industry standard. So you have an indication of what you are expected to pay for your transfer cost. You also, at the same time, have to pay bond registration costs if you are financing the property, going through to a local bank and they give, uh, helping you or assisting you. If it's not a cash deal per se, then you would then require to pay bond registration costs as well. Also remember, you know, the transferring attorney has a huge responsibility in terms of now making sure when he receives an instruction, making sure that one, that there is no bond or there is no servitudes or the use of fraud. So he examines a lot of things. Some people may place an interdict on the property for whatever particular reason. Some people may have a judgment on the property. So if a person seller sells his property, a few years ago got into financial trouble and his creditor decided that he's going to issue summons. He could issue the summons, take a judgment, and at the same time, he may um, put an indedic on the property whereby the property cannot be sold until the judgment has been satisfied. So the transferring attorney would do, uh, would do a, a search on the property. And on the search, it would show there is a judgment that was registered three, five years ago. And he would then investigate and say, oh, okay, Mr. XYZ was a creditor and his judgment amount needs to be satisfied. Once his judgment amount is satisfied and he's paid, he's then in a position to then um, remove the interdict and the deeds office 
to then allow for property transfer to happen. Also, at the same time, he needs to make sure that the bank is releasing the money, that the full purchase price is covered. Sometimes banks come in at 60%, 80%, 90%. He needs to make sure that the balance of the purchase price is secured because if the property transfer happens and the purchase price is not secured, it's not paid, the seller would, 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 would probably sue the attorney for, um, for, for, for negligence and um, as a result of which the attorney would then have to make up the shortfall. So yes, that's something that um, uh, is a, a prudent attorney and a prudent conveyancer needs to look at very carefully. We see this happening, especially sometimes when um, junior attorneys are doing transfers and these are some of, some of the mistakes that they could very well make and they do make. And it's important that, you know, uh, experience and a knowledgeable conveyancer oversees the transfer and make sure that all the finances and all the issues that's supposed to take place and happen, supposed to happen, does take place. And that's the service you are paying for at the end of the day. It may, you know, sometimes people come into my office in the same moment, myself and my brother's name is on here. What do we just strike a line through here to say that I'm no longer the owner because I want to give the property to my brother? It's not. It's a procedure now having something as simple as removing a name or adding a name on a title. It involves a huge process. You still have to pay your rights clearances. You still have to send your documentation to SARS. You still have to deal with the bank in case there's a bond and all these issues that go together with it. But um, yes, it's the responsibility of the professional that you have entrusted it to. Now, Mohammed, I know that, as you said, a lot of people come to the office and uh, you get, I know, uh, let's work out a scenario here. Someone comes to you and said, uh, right, Mohammed, you know what, I like you and, you know, I've got no uh, people to inherit from me. I'm giving you my, uh, my palatial uh, farm or my property as a gift. Now, what happens in that case if you get a property gifted to you? Do you still pay uh, taxes on it or do you pay uh, something to SARS? Hey, you got a big gift here. You better ca- cough out, uh, Mohammed. Talk to us. Yes. So, of course, uh, uh, these are tax issues that uh, are basic. Uh, it, it, it forms part of a pra- practice that we should know. Um, so, when a person uh, donates a property, then there is donations tax that's applicable. Now, generally, remember we said earlier that the purchaser pays the transfer cost. With donations tax, the don- though no, that's the person who is giving the donation, he pays the donation's tax and not the purchaser. So um, the, the, the law allows you to donate to a, um, to a third party, not your spouse for that matter, but to a third party, up to 100,000 rand tax-free every year. So if you create a trust and you want to donate money into a trust, you'd be able to do it up to 100,000 rand a year tax-free. But if you donate over and above that, then the amount that exceeds 100,000 actually attracts donations tax. So it's not very popular. But to get around the situation, you could advise the clients that, listen, where there's a will, there's Mohammed Kuvadia. So prepare your will and include me as a beneficiary in your will so that I don't, you don't have to pay any tax and I as a beneficiary, so the, the, the bringing you know bringing it into a realistic situation, we generally asked my client C, there's this mos- masjid down the road, and I'd like to give them 
this particular property because I feel that they could use it for parking or they could use it to house the imams or the mother and I'd like to donate this property to them. So one of the options and one of the advices that you could give them is um, why don't you make the masjid a beneficiary in your world? Now this goes back to the original masala um, that we have about donating to a non-beneficiary from an Islamic perspective which can only be done up to one-third of the value of your estate. So if you have, yes, three similar houses and you'd like to donate one house away to the masjid knowing that it's not going to exceed one-third of the value, then you could very well do it and you could the masjid could become a beneficiary in your estate and as a result of which then there's no donations tax because you are not donating it, you are now bequeathing it in terms of your will and as and, and the beneficiary does not need to pay any taxes receiving that as well. So one way to get around uh, transfer duty as well is to bequeath the asset to your beneficiary. Yes, sir, Muhammad, really, you know, you add value to uh, legal talk on uh, the platform, the Marcus Sahaba, the voice of the Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. So listening to you, and I, I hope I got this right, uh, conveyancing in South Africa may only be carried out by a licensed conveyancer, an attorney like yourself who has uh, passed the national uh, conveyancing examination, or any other persons, uh, anyone else that can do conveyancing, but I need to maybe have a diploma also, Muhammad. So by and large, the property land system is protected in terms of legislation. So my appointment or appointment of a conveyancer is there because of legislation that has been put into place to protect people. There are exceptions where certain state officials could actually sign the necessary documentation that provides for land transfers, but that's a very limited system. But by default, we not only does a conveyancer need to be an attorney, he needs to be an attorney that meets all legal requirements for his appointment as an attorney over and above that. And, you know, just to put it into perspective, it's like a specialist. A specialist is a GP also, and he's a specialist in his field. So the conveyancer, um, not every attorney is a conveyancer, but every conveyancer must be an attorney. So we have certain added uh, responsibilities by virtue of the fact that we are conveyancers. So if there's a problem, at the deeds office, in any matter that we are registering, irrespective of, if, of the other attorneys that are involved, the conveyancer that signs off the documents takes full responsibility for what he signs off. And it's that's actually a cumbersome responsibility which any person who wants to do conveyancing must, uh, must, must, uh, must, must fully appreciate is that he's, he signs his career, he signs his name, he signs... Uh, his 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 his, his, uh, his status in that signature and say I'm confident that I've done all my homework all the legal requirements have been met and then the matter goes to the deeds office and the registrar then assumes that what the conveyancer has said by his certifications that everything is correct so yes a huge responsibility further studies the pass rate for these exams are actually quite low because the standard uh, is quite high and people need to have we are we governed by various statutes and laws 
from the marital regime systems, you know, from the now the Islamic marital system would play a role in terms of documentation, in terms of citations, and in terms of consequences. We need to know about land reforms. We need to know about servitudes. We need to know mortgage bonds, financial arrangements. So, yes, it's quite a deep thing. But Alhamdulillah, for any aspirants out there, it's a rewarding career, uh, inshallah. And, of course, you know, it's, it's something that um, we can aspire as attorneys to get into. Now, Muhammad Zainabi, I told generally conveyancing will take around 12 to 16 to 18, 20 weeks. Uh, but with the advent of a technology, the press of a button, you can see what's happening, what's uh, the who's in the zoo. Uh, has uh, conveyancing, you know, been speeded up? So, so remember, I remember the days, I'm talking now over 30 years ago, we actually had to physically go into banks to cash guarantees. We had to wait outside the city council's offices from 6 o'clock in the morning before they opened so we could get our work done by lunchtime. Uh, I remember the days we had to go to SARS offices and sit with Mavro Falyun and say, listen, Mavro, this is this, and she'll look everything and she'll say, okay, lost and everything was very manual. You had to drive into the CBD area. You had to go in, look for parking, go in, sit down, wait for your turn to come, and an hour later get attended to look for your documentation. So, yes, without a doubt, I think maybe mainly because of COVID, we find that uh, the industry deep forward. You're finding that now most of the councils are online. So previously, if I was registering a property in Kuruman, I had to contact the Kuruman local officers, maybe send a uh, a letter there first before they entertain me or to get the services of a local attorney and say, can you please go and find out about the rates clearance certificate? Most of the municipalities are online and we have access to it through our software and through our systems. So what used to take four weeks can now be done in four days. SARS, council, these this bit of information. Banks are online. Um, title deeds are now scanned and uh, emailed across when it's no physical delivery like we used to have in the past. And we had to wait for the documents to come through. So a lot of this processes have evolved and changed. There, are, there is even talk within the next year that they want to create electronic systems. So in other words, we still have physically a deeds office that documents are lodged manually and examined manually. In time to come, they are talking about uploading the documentation and maybe the computers will also assist in examining the documentation. So you don't physically have a receipt from SARS. SARS maybe populate one of the fields there on the system to say SARS has been paid, council would just populate something. So there's no need to physically re-examine in all the documentation, the manual documentation that we submit. In time to come, I think that will expedite things. I've seen transfers now come down to maybe three to four weeks uh, if there's no real issues. And uh, I think the the, the whole uh, field is actually advancing. So, yes, some of the figures you have there are very conservative, but we're moving into a more realistic situation. And those times can be cut down in the half now. Now, you know, you look at uh, law firms and all. Do you also fall under the BEE Act? where you have to, you know, allow so many of uh, the indigent uh, brothers or sisters uh, to be part of your practice, uh, Mohammed. So that, that's a requirement from some corporates. 
and some financial institutions and government organizations. So if you come to see me, you particularly would not be interested in a BE certificate because your the nature of your work is such that you require my services. But today, corporates have a legal obligation. They have a legal responsibility to make sure that who they do business with has the necessary certification. So yes, I have certification because I do have corporate clients and corporate clients annually like to see our where, what's our composition of our con, uh, company, how many uh, females we've employed, how many non-whites have been employed in the business. But Alhamdulillah, I think uh, by and large, we do have um, 100% non-white um, staff allocation because particularly we employ the people who we work amongst. So um, the, there is the, that requirement, but that requirement is now if you do work, on a particular level. Some attorneys do not require these certifications, although they are, they would qualify, but customers don't need it. The nature of the work is such that they don't need it. And um, it just all depends on your customer or who, 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 who you intend getting business from. It may be, I mean, definitely from the state. The state, for, for a fact, if you're going to do government work at any level, then you need to meet those requirements because by law they oblige to give work to certain levels of firms if they do not qualify in terms of PE criteria. Yeah, Mohammed, there you this answer off the cuff there. You know, I remember reading an article uh, a few months ago on, uh, you know, who was South Africa's youngest conveyancer, and it happened to be Nomleyo Mabehena Milelilo, and uh, she was uh, only 23. Uh, that was in 2019 when she broke into the records book and became the youngest black female uh, conveyancer. And, you know, she passed the exam, uh, examination with the uh, flying colors and so forth. And, you know, conveyancing is, uh, I mean, the way to go. Uh, you can make a lot of money. And, uh, you know, also tempting. I know many people that I knew personally, uh, Muhammad. Hey. Gee, funny they enough. Lo- they, 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 they lost the, I mean, they lost their reputation. But they, you know, they jumped into some of the bigger bucks there. I don't know. The temptation leads to trouble, uh, Muhammad. <laughs> so funny enough, this lady that you mentioned uh, was uh, a discussion that I had with my daughter. She's 22. She's in a final year of studies. And um, she hopes to be admitted as a conveyancer before 23. So Allah wow. grant her that particular Amin. success, inshallah. She uh, has taken off a load of my responsibility. Alhamdulillah, she's passed... Uh, with great results over the years, so uh, it makes me proud as a father. And uh, she knows uh, she's been mentored by myself, and I think that, alhamdulillah, she'll make a great conveyancer in that we've... Uh, and, and, and I'm a difficult father, I'm a difficult boss at the same time, I must say that, but only in an effort to make them outstanding in whatever they do. So inshallah, make dua, maybe we next in the next year this time we could have a discussion about uh, the youngest conveyancer then being... Um, uh, uh, the daughter the Kuvadia. of uh, the Kuvadia at the end of the day. But yes, just, just to let you know, I mean, we have a mutual friend that tried to do conveyancing and, you know, paid out erroneously and then didn't sleep for months. And then, of course, you know, yeah. it creates unnecessary stress. And I think uh, it was great. It's great when you have a mentor, somebody is able to assist you when there's a possibility of you making a huge blunder. Um, sometimes we don't see the uh, error 
and somebody else who looks at the matter and says, but wait, why are you doing it like this? Isn't it supposed to be like... So Alhamdulillah, I think my, uh, my daughter and my son who's with me have the advantage of me overseeing what they do, assisting them in situations where they have difficulty and maybe preventing them from making huge blunders because it's very, very, very easy to make a mistake, especially with when it comes to finances and when you're dealing with millions of rents today, the every average house is in excess of million rand, and uh, we 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 see so many things that can go wrong that we need to. And just to just on a short note, just to end off and give you uh, some of the perils associated. Just last week, uh, the client uh, from his proceeds asked me to pay a third party two hundred fifty thousand rand, and I was uncomfortable doing that. And I said, please let me pay the full purchase price into your account, and then from there you're free to pay to a third party. And just as well, I did it because he took, he received his money, and he 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 transferred two hundred fifty thousand to a third party. Um, apparently, these people were going to help him invest his money. And when he after he transferred the money, a day or two later, he went there, and the offices were empty, and they weren't taking his calls, and they weren't. So I was disappointed because I expected him to have confided in me, and I would have advised him, please do not even consider investing in these types of operations because it's not reputable. But when he confided in me, it was too late. So what do we do? But my protection mechanism out of experience was pay the client directly. If I had to pay the third party, he would have brought me in to say, the attorney paid and you made some excuse and unnecessarily dragged me into a situation. But this comes sometimes with experience where you're able to you know, try to protect yourself as best as you can. And after 30 years of practice, you don't want to be making mistakes. You don't want to lose your credibility. You don't want to do something that may make you financially uh, responsible. You just want to go in and do a day's work and come back and and, and have some peace of mind. So yes, what what this is levels of responsibility sometimes. And in university, you can only so much. You can only learn so much. It's only with experience that you pick up on a lot of these issues. Well, Mohammed, we've uh, run out of time, but uh, Jazakallah Khaira to you for adding uh, substance uh, to the program, for giving us information uh, that we're already made for easy listening and uh, digestion. Uh, Allah keep you, Allah bless you. And perhaps uh, quickly, 20 seconds are uh, your parting words. Okay. Jazakallah, you know, once again, I hope that uh, to the junior conveyances out there that we have provided a lot of information to the public out there. I can say, please, there's a level of trust amongst conveyances that um, people need to have. And by and large, we have a very secure system of uh, property transfers in this country. There is a level of confidence in the legal profession. People should rest assured that um, generally, by and large, you don't get dishonest lawyers. How better can I say that, Shafat? Yeah, you said it very eloquently. And Alhamdulillah, even, uh, you know, putting for... Make it easy for the future ge- generations, inshallah. Allah give you the barakah, Allah give you the sukoon, and Allah give you success, uh, uh, you and your family members, both in the dunya and akhirah. Time, uh, yes, uh, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you, Muhammad, and I'll talk to you soon. Wa alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And jazakallah for, for your listeners as well for giving me one hour of their time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us to go for the Isha Zan. And inshallah, we will continue after that.